The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Welcome to episode number thirteen of the Paul Leslie Hour. How are you, folks? Good to have you here. On this episode, we're welcoming a songwriter. I like to think that on the Paul Leslie Hour, the songwriter is the star. I know I've welcomed a lot of the star stars. You know what I mean—the people who are on stage or on the album. But there's something about the men and women who write songs that I just have such a love for them. That's where music starts. Larry Bastian has been the source of some really great songs. He's written songs for people like Buck Owens, George Jones, Tammy Wynette, Conway Twitty, Vern Gosden, and of course Garth Brooks. He's written a couple of songs for and with Garth Brooks. One song that he wrote very synonymous with Garth Brooks would be "Rodeo." I reached out to Garth Brooks' manager about trying to interview Larry Bastian. I had been thinking about trying to get a hold of him for quite some time. And I sent off this email, and I figured, well, here goes nothing. And what can I say? Sometimes you get lucky. When you listen to this interview with Larry Bastian, I want you to imagine us sitting around a campfire, because that's what it felt like. Enjoy. Hey, this is Paul. Hey, Paul. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Well, I'm fine for a Monday. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> We have a, I've got some Spanish Basque blood on my dad's side of the family, and there's an old saying, Nelina de Luna, Nilas Gainas Ponen, which means on Monday even the hens don't lay. <laughs> so, well, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. This is good. Yeah. Shall we jump right in? Sure. <laughs> Well, the man we're speaking with is songwriter Larry Bastian. And I'm going to start this interview with a quote. If one looks down the list of music's greatest writers of all time, I couldn't imagine the list being complete without the name of Larry Bastian. And the person who said that, Garth Brooks. So, Mr. Bastian, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Good talk to you, Paul. It's an honor, and I'm curious, what type of name is Bastian? It was Sebastian when my、uh, great grandfather came over from Europe. He was、uh, Spanish Basque, according to my dad, and we spoke with him frequently before he passed away. So it was Sebastian, and I think his name must have been. Juan Carlos Sebastian, but he changed everything when he arrived in this country, and his name was Charles John Bastian when he came to this country. And I heard he was in a little fracas over there, as a lot of them were, and、uh, he made his way to the New World. Thanks be to God. So you have Spanish roots、uh, on my dad's side. I have、uh, Irish roots on my mother's side, from County Clare in Ireland, and I've got Basque separatists on one side and the IRA on the other. So,、uh, 
they don't allow me with sharp instruments. <laughs> <laughs> We're pretty well mixed up. It's uh, We've been here quite a while. Uh, my great-granddad came over in the 1860s, and the Irish in were were already in, I think it was Chicago or someplace over there. Yeah. Anyway, we all wound up over here. Would you say that your roots or your family play any part in you being a songwriter? Oh, my gosh, yeah. My grandfather on my mother's side, old Irishman, man, he taught me so much about... Uh, uh, he taught me to appreciate rhyme. Of course, he was a Yeats fan. He made me learn a poem called O'Driscoll when I was 10 years old. He was also loved his music and, of course, all Irish songs. My Lord, he regaled me from morning till night with, uh, oh golly, name one. He's, <laughs> he, my mother was, was, very much, uh, she loved rhyme, and she taught me what to look for, what kind of rhyme, and uh, you know, and so I kind of grew up around it. You know, you get, you grow up different degrees of, uh, of what you love to do, shading that with what your parents love you to do, or, or kind of tilt you towards. Anyway, I, I got a, I got a pretty good, uh, pretty good uh, education in music from the folks. I was hoping you could tell us about the part of the country that you live in. Yeah, be glad to. Uh, we're in Central California. We're in the San Joaquin Valley, on the east side of the San Joaquin Valley, on the western slope of the Sierra Nevada Range, and right about the center center of the state, a little bit south of center. It's a farming country with, oh boy, uh, you know, when people come out here from Nashville to uh, to visit or co-ride or something, they're always amazed at all of the farming that's done, but uh, this is a breadbasket of the world here in uh, San Joaquin Valley, and uh, it's a, it was a, uh, a wonderful place to grow up in, and uh, there's plenty of, uh, of uh, ranch, cattle ranches around, and I was fortunate enough to have a an uncle on my dad's side that was the arena director of the uh, Rocky Hill Arena out of Porterville, California. That uh, through the 40s and 50s, he was the arena director for it, and uh, got up close and, and personal with the rodeo deal going on. Dad was a farmer and a rancher, and he also uh, uh, worked for my uncle. Uh, my uncle had a pack station back in Sierras where he'd take people that uh, wanted a pack trip on horseback back into the wild country, and a lot of them going to Mount Whitney, which is the tallest peak in, uh, in the lower 48. Well, I grew up back there. In fact, I was baptized back in a little place called Lloyd Meadows in the Sierras. I think there was a group of priests that came through for, to uh, go on a trip to uh, Mount Whitney, and 
my brother and I were, I was a year old and my brother was two years old. So took the opportunity to uh, use some of the water out of, uh, of uh, Freeman Creek. Anyway, that was, it didn't take for a long time, but <laughs> anyway, it was, uh, that's kind of where I was. I learned to throw a diamond hitch on a mule or a pack horse when I was 10. It was a good, good way to grow up. It seems like for a lot of people around the country, they don't really have an idea about all of the diverse things that California offers. Oh, that's so true, Bob. My Lord. It's so much fun to get them out here and have them just astonished by taking them out. A lot of them don't realize uh, the size of a redwood tree, you know, and being able to drive them up here uh, a half hour from our house and uh, being able to show them trees that are over 2,000 years old and uh, absolutely huge. You know, there's one tree up there that takes, I think there's 43 paces to walk around it. It's just, uh, it, it's it's wonderful to see the wonder in their eyes when they see something like that. That It's the only place uh, in the world you can see those sequoia giants. It was a wonderful place to, uh, to grow up. I know that you are a biologist. So yes, you, sir. So you have a scientific mind and an artistic mind. I like critters. <laughs> and I think I get, uh, was very fortunate before, before I went into the music full time. I was able to, to, uh, be on the, one of the last condor counts for the California condor, and uh, uh, I did some rare and endangered species work on uh, San Joaquin kit fox, different things like that. So I got the best of, of the whole deal. You know, I had my, I got to uh, ride an airboat out across the Tulare Lake Basin. And, uh, there was a botulism outbreak of waterfowl. And got to go, well, uh, pick up rescued sick ducks. It's a great thing to do. And, yeah, I loved what I did, but I the music is uh, very consuming to me, and, and it's something that, uh, that I never forgot. I never lost my need to write. So I I met, uh, met Merle Haggard's wife at that time, Bonnie Owen. Haggard, and I'd known her back during a time in Bakersfield. Uh, there was a, a show called Cousin Herb Show back there, and I was uh, had the back when I was right out of high school. We had a quartet and went down and performed on there. As did a lot of the uh, of the uh, Bakersfield bunch, and I got acquainted with Bonnie, and Bonnie said, "You ought to." I think you could write a song. She said, why don't you write me a song and uh, bring it back to me? Anyway, I did, and uh, and she published it. That started the whole thing, and when when she and uh, and the Hag 
uh, split the blanket. Well, uh, I wound up over at uh, Buck Owens' studio, and Jim Shaw was uh, the musical director, I think was his, was his title, uh, there with Buck Owens. And Jim and I became good friends and co-writers and uh, wound up writing a song called This Ain't Tennessee that's been recorded by Eddie Arnold, Tom Jones, Janie Fricky, oh golly, Garth Brooks. I think I've had nine majors on that one song with, uh, that I wrote with Jim. Anyway, then uh, I had an opportunity to go down and work with Clint Eastwood and uh, Snuff Garrett down in Hollywood. Got a few things recorded down there with uh, with Lefty Frizzell's brother, Frizzell and West, Shelley West, is Dottie West's daughter, and uh, David was uh, Lefty's brother. And uh, I had a couple of songs on their first album that uh, Snuff Garrett produced, and uh, it did real well. And later on, drifted down to Nashville and hooked up with. Uh, Buddy Emmons and Phil Baugh and some of the folks that were had some interesting things going on in the 1980s and just had a hit it up. I like to say I fell uphill, you know. You <laughs> well, <laughs> you just uh, I think just being there, you know, helped a lot and hanging around the right people. And, uh, Got some stuff done. I'm not, I'm not downplaying whatever talent I have, but uh, I see a lot of talented people in that town that that never did make it that were a hell of a lot more talented than myself. I'm not sorry for what I did. I'm not giving the money back. I guess that's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, why do you think that some people in any kind of creative endeavor, whether they're going to Nashville to write songs or going any, anywhere, really, maybe to record songs and be a star. Why do some people make it and some people don't? Well, I think it's a combination of talent and persistence. Larry Gallen once, once told me, he says, uh, this was back in the 70s. And I, he was just getting started and uh, I hooked up with him on a couple of things and Anyway, he said, uh, I said, man, I said, I, I love writing. I said, I, sh- I sure tr- try to make it and everything. And he said, would you do it for nothing? And I said, well, yeah, I've done it for nothing. You know, I, heck yeah. He says, if you, if you didn't make any money, would you quit writing? And I said, absolutely not. Well, it's, it's, uh, s- something like that, that type of drive. You know, uh, first off, you have to know that you can do it. There wasn't a doubt in my mind that that I could write a song. And I think you have to be that driven, I'll put it, to uh, to succeed. And, and then there's a lot of luck. I mean, face it. They have a saying back there that you can't get out of the way of a hit song, and that is so right. You know, if you show up with something that is current and and uh, and shows a 
different way of doing things, a different, make the same, uh, you can make the same statement in your song that everybody else has made, and as long as you're different, you approach it from a different uh, premise, maybe. You know, it might be the difference between all the other ones that uh, that had a love story to them or, or that was similar. So just say things in a different way. Be conversational. I can't emphasize that enough on young people starting. They've got to, you've got to put that, uh, quit writing with your thumb and uh, start writing with your heart and start listening to people carrying on conversations because uh, there's so many different ways you can say a, the same phrase and make it different and uh, or make it so people recognize that immediately as being something that they've either done or seen or heard. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it does. I think that can be applied to a lot of things. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think there's a drive in different people that uh, just won't quit. And as I say, do it. You you're doing it anyway. I'm cons- consistently. Uh, I've got some line or some little riff or something going on in my head that I don't that I can't I can't get rid of. When I'm writing, if I if I have a I very rarely get a mental block. Uh, I don't think that's what they call it. Whatever it is, where you can't, you get to a point on a song and you don't know where to go with it. Yeah, writers. I go. Yeah, I go fishing. (laughs) I love to fish, but I can never quit thinking about that line. But when I'm fishing, my mind is a blank canvas. And when that idea comes into back into to, to my uh, thinking, all of a sudden it's brand new. And oh, that's it. That's the line. That's what I want right there. You know, hmm. I've I've turned uh, or let uh, three pound trout get away because I found. <laughs> The right, the right line for that last song. Race back to the car and head back home and write it down. Although, uh, I don't write things down as a rule. Garth, when he writes, uh, about drove him nuts because I wouldn't write anything down. But I had a, a theory that if you write it, if you have to write it down, it isn't that good anyway. If it's a great line, you won't forget it. I don't recommend that to everybody, but uh, Jesus sure worked for me. <laughs> Would it be a good estimate to say that you're coming close to have written, have, having written a thousand songs? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm. Let me let me check. How many songs have I written? Is it over nine hundred? I know. She says easy over 900. I don't know whether it's a 1,000 or not. It's getting there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Is there a song that to you has the greatest meaning for your life, for you? 
for me, a song that I've written, yeah. or, uh, well, Unanswered Prayers was not, uh, you know, Garth and uh, Pat Alger did an awful lot on that. Garth and I, I think we were walking, he says it's 16th Avenue, I think we were on 17th, but uh, we were walking down the sidewalk, and he says, I got this song going with Pat Alger. It's about this gal that I loved in high school, and she didn't, it didn't work out and everything, but he always was sorry he didn't, and it didn't, uh, when he met her again, she was as different as he was, you know, and he says, uh, what would you call it? And I said, uh, unanswered prayers. And he about flipped, and he said, I said, well, you know, only God's the only one that can, you know, some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Well, that, it meant a lot to me, first off, that he would ask me about that, and secondly, that he'd take it and it would do as well as it did. If you're talking about a, I wrote a song, oh shoot man, I'm trying to think of the title of it now. It was one that I just, just read, just, uh, wrote here not too long ago. Good lord, I'll think of it. Geez though, I've got so many things going on in my mind today. Well, like I say, you know, de luna nilas, gainas ponen, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Living proof. Some of the songs have never been recorded that are really important to me. I I wrote a song about uh, that is me more than anything, and uh, and the cowboy in me. And it started out as a poem. If you've got time for it, I could recite it for you. Oh, that'd be wonderful. <laughs> we. Uh, I used to work cattle a little bit, you know, when I was a kid and uh, never could figure out why people did it. And, uh, you know, there's a, Dad used to say there's three things that can happen on horseback and two of them are bad. And But anyway, we were, I was moving cattle and I was up trying to find some. So I, I wrote this. Uh, today I made a canyon sing about a saddle creaking about spur rows jingin' about shod hooves making slate rock ring. Today I made a canyon sing. Today I made a blue grouse fly from a spruce tree down a mountainside. I lost my hat when my bay horse shied. Today I made a blue grouse fly. Well, today I went where I'd never been, where the mountain stops and the sky begins and the trees are bent by the snow and the wind. Today I went where I'd never been. Well, tonight I made a sagebrush fire and put coffee on that pungent pyre. Man who says it's gone's a liar. Tonight I made a sagebrush fire. Well, I'm a cowboy, and damn it, I'll stay the course. And as long as I can set a horse, I'll make saddles creep, and I'll make spur rails jing, and I'll find a canyon, and I'll make it sink. I like it. <laughs> kind of, but uh, you know, there's a lot of a lot of different. Uh, I'm proud of a lot of the stuff that I that I've done, 
and uh, I think I've been on six, 68, 76 million records. I've had songs on on that. And a lot of them are duplicates, you know, like, you know, Garth, on songs that Garth and I, uh, that uh, I've written for Garth, and he's recorded, well, he's re- re-released those, you know, millions of times, so it sounds pretty, <laughs> pretty good, but actually most of them were songs that have been other people have recorded or whatever, but uh, it still counts as records, so uh, they kind of count it that way. So Now, where do you live? Well, I am in uh, the state of Georgia. Oh, wow. Yeah. Golly, I love Georgia. Yeah? Yeah, I wrote a song called Georgia Pines for You. Jim Shaw and I wrote that. I love it. Love that. I love that state. I love the attitude of people coming from Georgia because they never, they're kind of like me in, in California. They, they never forget their roots. There's a saying in Nashville that, uh, you gotta be present to win. And, uh, and that's true to a point. But there's another saying that familiarity breeds contempt. True. And uh, that's true also, and I think sometimes we're kind of chasing our tail back there, trying to write the last hit or rewrite the last hit. And uh, I always stayed in California as a resident because I'm firmly convinced that when I would go back, when I was going back all the time, when I'd go back, I'd come back with something fresh. You know, because I'm, I'm listening to the guy at the service station and talking to old friends, you know, that, that I'd known forever and, uh, hearing their stories of, of, uh, divorce and, uh, and, and new progeny being born and, you know, and, and people passing and, uh, uh you know, and, and, and their problems and, and their celebrations and everything. And back there, it's, so, uh, not inbred, but they're, they're, they're all kind of doing the same thing. It was, it, it was back when I was really struggling. It was great for me to be here because what I, what I was writing was really getting a lot of attention when I would take it back. And, uh, I know a lot of times they'd send out a tip sheet saying so-and-so's going in uh, and here's what he's looking for. You know, he wants uh, all up-tempo songs, looking for up-tempo. And I would send them a ballad because Hmm. I figured, hell, everybody's sending them up-tempo songs, you know, and maybe they're tired of listening to up-tempo songs. So I'd send them a ballad and darn if I wouldn't get the darn thing cut. You know, and it was because everybody else, you know, they were wearing, getting themselves the listen, whoever was listening for that publishing company or producing company, you know, they'd see something that'd be fresh, you know. Well, I got a lot of stuff done that way. I think Saturday Night Special was done that way. I'm not sure. I think so. Conway Twitty song. 
I've had songs cut by Tom Jones and George Jones and uh, Tammy Wynette and uh, Reba and Golly, lots of folks. Been blessed. Golly, Paul. I did fall uphill. (laughs) (laughs) Thinking about it. It's interesting. Everybody says, oh, you have to move to Nashville. And then, Mm -hmm. oh, if, if, uh, you know, you gotta do, you gotta send the up-tempo songs, and you send yep. them the ballads. So you're someone yep. who doesn't follow the rules. <laughs> I never, <laughs> that's never, that's never been a, <laughs> a problem with me, not following the rules. But, you know, you gotta be a little contrary to, or opinionated or whatever, and, and I, I tend to be a little bit that. Although I love I'm pretty eclectic when it comes to songs. I, you know, I grew up listening to Tony Bennett, man, and uh, Perry Como and Bing Crosby, and 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 uh, you know, when I was a kid, you know, and it was. But I also grew up in a, where the Dust Bowl people that moved in here in the 30s and 40s. You know, get work in, in all this agriculture. They were starving to death back in Texas and Oklahoma, and, and they come out here to get uh, to get fed. And uh, golly, what it did to this region here is it completely turned everybody on their musical head, because here came. Bob Wills and the Texas Playboys, and here came Lefty Frizzell, and here came Haggard, and all of these people that, with their country roots, and it was it was so exciting for me because at last there was no more Spoon Moon and Croon crap going on. Uh, you know, you could you could write what's coming out of your heart. Today I started loving her again, right back where I've always really been. Got over her just long enough to let the teardrops in. Today I started loving her. I mean, it was just so cut through all the bull and get right in the middle of your heart. And it was exciting, man. God, Eddie Arnold, you know, first, you know, you thought, well, everything that he did, you know, he had was doing cattle call and and different different he was he was stretching he was going pop and country at the same time and i think the dust bowl folks when with with their music showing up uh just all of a sudden changed california when you had places like down in 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 oh shoot i can't think of the name of that little town down there in the la basin where they they had uh, Cliffy Stone's hometown jamboree was the name of, and uh, heck, he had uh, oh man, Tennessee Ernie Ford and K Star, and they did a song called uh, "I'll Never Be Free." Got it, hit the charts all over, you know, and there was a twang and everything after that. Thank God for that twang; <laughs> it helped our grocery bill. <laughs> <laughs> but uh no it's uh I think that the thing that uh the honesty of their lyric 
was so in your face. God, I loved it. It sure, uh, sure gave me a. And then Christopherson came along, you know, and, uh, you know, and all of a sudden, Christopherson was a important, uh, important guy. I think that's, you know, he, uh, there again, he was from Texas. So he had that honesty about him too. You gotta be real in, in, uh, in country music. Uh, you can get away with it in some of the other types of music, but, uh, in country, uh, they don't put up with it. You were mentioning Pat Elger earlier. Yeah. And yeah. not just songwriters that you write with, but friends, people that you're going to work with. What do you look for in another person? As a co-writer? Yeah, a co-writer or anything. Well, first off, you got to respect them. And you got to get respect. you got to... I look for... I'm a lyricist, but... Basically, so I look for somebody, uh, you know, with uh, more into the musical end of it. Somebody that is uh, very astute with uh, developing a melody. God, I don't have my list. Of, about the only one that that I ever doubled up with was uh, Dwayne Blackwell. And Dwayne and I both wrote lyrics and music. So, uh, and we were pretty successful with it. Uh, we kept it up for a long time. Dwayne's down in Mexico, I think, now. But, uh, I'm uh, thinking of, uh, oh, hang on just a second. Uh, what's our guy from Georgia? No, our, uh, co-writer from down there. Archie Jordan. Oh, yeah. Archie and I are really really great buddies and uh he came out and stayed with us for a couple of months one time and and uh we wrote a lot of stuff and Archie is great with the with the music part and we were a perfect complement there and it it worked out and there again he was a great guy is a great guy we still keep uh, track of each other and but if you if 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 you have if you have a stronger suit, you know, like if you're a better musician than you are a lyricist, find somebody that is the complement to you that can help help you with the mute with the words and uh, and you can hold your own with the music part. You know, I have a a friend up in. Uh, Washington, that's great musician, great singing voice, my lord. And, uh, he's a bartender up there. <laughs> he just, uh, I love writing with him, you know. We've written quite a bit of different stuff. I got one, Chris Ledoux's son, Ned Ledoux, are you, have you heard anything about him? Oh, yeah, indeed. Uh, I just wrote a thing called uh, Another Horse to Ride that he just recorded. And uh, I'm kind of excited about that. I don't... I think it releases like the last part of the month. Golly, that's 
now, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Tomorrow's the last day, yep. I know it. Oh, Lord. But I think it's either the last or, or the first couple of days in November. But he's uh, he's a good kid, and uh, I sure hope him, hope him well. His uh, Chris was uh, such a wonderful guy. But I got to hang with him for a while. And, uh, I was really pleased that somebody else that was very extremely important to me in my in cutting my musical teeth was Mickey Newberry. Go Google Mick. Oh yeah. And uh, listen to some of the stuff that he's that he did. God rest his soul. Just a wonderful person and uh, and so brilliant, man. And there's a guy that could hit you in the heart, you know. Some of his lyrics are just off the chart. And being different, you know, here we go again. Being different. Different's good. Different's uh, not a bad thing. So uh, true. Anyway, uh, Mickey was uh, back in the late seventies. I got to I got to go see him, and he, I talked to him on the phone. He called about something. I don't remember what it was. It sure as hell wasn't. Uh, how do you write a song? <laughs> <laughs> he was uh, he was uh, chapter and verse on that. But uh, what? Oh, I, uh, oh, he asked me about, uh, about somebody that I knew. That was it. And, uh, we got to be good friends and, uh, I got to go up and hang with him before he died. And just a good man. What a loss. But good people. Good people. There's, uh, you know, I was so blessed with hanging with some really nice folks and, and some of them that everybody said you got to watch for this one or something like that hell they you know they would be just great with me you know and and i i was i was really blessed with not really running into any bad aches you know some of them were a little slick especially down in los angeles (laughs) but i uh we're pretty pretty country up here in a different way always have been you know we like to hunt and fish in fact i uh just got through putting up four quarters of venison in the freezer i got my deer (laughs) (laughs) well someone who's played a big role in your story would be garth brooks oh yeah when you first met mr garth brooks yeah what did you see I saw a uh, a cowboy kid from Texas that was very polite, extremely quiet, would sing his song and 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 uh, kind of uh, it was always yes sir, Mr. Larry, uh, you know, and and I appreciate that, but God, he could write a song, man. That was the thing that got me right off the bat. I just, you know, I didn't know anything about who he would turn into as far as a performer, but boy, I'll tell you what, I knew he could write a song, and we hooked up, Bob Doyle signed him, and Bob had signed me to as a, a writer 
for his new publishing company. And, and he brought Garth in one time. He said, you got to meet this kid. I just knew he could, that he had, you know, he had a good voice. And, uh, and he played a great guitar. And, uh, he sang some really good songs for somebody that, uh, I learned later that, you know, he'd cut his teeth in some bars down in, in Tulsa or someplace right there in Oklahoma. So he actually was a little bit, uh, a better performer than, you know, what, uh, what, I understood him to be. I didn't know he was that. But man, when you get, got him on a stage, you know, I mean, if he's just playing for, for you and me trying out a song on somebody's couch or something, you have no idea of, of who he becomes when, when the footlights go on, you know? He just, he's just a monster of talent. Uh, and here again, you know, I fell uphill because, uh, he and I were at the, with the same, uh, publishing company. Bob Doyle did more for me than anybody. I mean, he, he kept me fired up, you know, getting things cut. I'd had, had a pretty, pretty good success for not being back there before that, you know, being, down in LA and, and, uh, I'd hooked up with Ray Price on a couple of things. He recorded them. And so, you know, I, I had a, I'd had a little bit of, of success, but when I met up with Bob, then, you know, I was getting Conway Twitty cuts, uh, Reba McIntyre cuts, Mo Bandy, uh, just all, all kinds of folks, you know. And then Garth comes along, you know, and I hell, that's that's the the golden ring there. Yeah, Garth. Uh, if, if I'm going to tell you something about him that that nobody really recognizes, and you, I think you'd probably have to know him personally, but that's one of the funniest men I have ever met in my life. Yeah, he's got a sense of humor like you would not believe, and he's a crack up. Uh, practical jokes, man, you know, I, uh, he just, he's a funny dude. I saw him here not too long ago and not lost Scott, Paso Robles. Got to hang out. Uh, I'm helping him on his, uh, on his uh, anthology. This book? And, uh, yeah. Yeah, I was hoping uh, you could tell us a little bit about that. Well, I don't know much about it myself other than what my part that he wanted me to do is to get items that I might have in in my collection of things, physical items, tapes, writing, little brief things. So uh, I don't know exactly what what's going on. I, like I told Bob Doyle when he called, I said, by the way, what in the world is an anthology? <laughs> so, <laughs> so <laughs> you could see how far I was from that point, but uh, uh, it was, you know, it was really nice. He, he'd call me and introduce me to somebody that was working on it. Garth would, 
say, hey, pal, why don't you, you know, try to find this for me. And, well, you know, so uh, that's kind of where it is. I, I don't know. I suppose it's going to release here right away. I think so. I think it's sometime in November. Yeah, in a couple of weeks, I think. Yeah. That's about all I know about it. Well, one of the songs that I first think of when I think about Garth Brooks, mm-hmm. you wrote it, and I can't speak about the song because you're the one that wrote it. I didn't. But what I think about when I think about this song, even though it's a song about rodeo, I think about compulsion every time I hear it. I think about, mm-hmm. you know, a person. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So, so tell well, us see, about- there's a lot of sense. There's a lot of similarities between a, a bronc rider or a bull rider, especially a bull rider, that there is with a, a guy obsessed with music. He'll he'll pretty much do every anything he can to to get that song cut. Bull riders are possessed, man. They're they're they're, they're hung up on uh, on the, the high that. Uh, they get by climbing on one of those things, not knowing whether they're going to live or die. Uh, it's not that bleak with a songwriter, but let's be real here. How many I know? I could. I haven't got enough toes or fingers to count how many people I know that have cut the cord with mom, dad, two or three wives. Even kids to run off to the chasing the chasing the music, and those those bold riders are the same thing. They do it because they they need to. They have to. You know that's it. That's their high right there. You know the adrenaline, the the, the adrenaline and dread. Well, <laughs> I'm losing my tongue here. That adrenaline rush, man. Is that's it's like a it's like these guys that uh, that uh, run for a living, you know? They do these long distance races. When they achieve that high point where they're almost ready, you know, to hyperventilate, my they're after. And in music, it isn't that physical. But the drain on everybody around them that are trying to figure them out, uh, wonder why in the world they're not the husband that they thought we were or something like that. I write great divorce songs because I've never been divorced. (laughs) But I was blessed with a woman that understood who I was we grew up actually, and in 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 doing that, it wasn't a to her. In fact, she was uh, she was right along there with me. I mean, hey, heck yeah, you need to do that. You know, you need to fly to to Nashville. Uh, you need to get that done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you need to get together with Dwayne. You need to get together with uh, with. Uh, you need to call Garth. You need to do this. Biggest uh, duck in the puddle there. You know, you know, and not many people, not many people are fortunate enough to have women like that 
celebrating right with them, you know. Yeah, you know, she'll be canonized one of these days. Saint Myrna is will arrive. <laughs> Myrna's her first thing. Uh, oh, he's a kid. Gatlin told me one time, he says, God, you overmarried, man. She's a <laughs> hell of a lot better than you deserve. <laughs> and, uh, I couldn't argue with him. But, uh, lots of, lots of good things happened. And, and, uh, and observing that, boy, you hit that right in the middle. You wound me up on that one, Paul. <laughs> it's just, God, something. you are, you are, you've been listening. Man, I'll tell you. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, somebody, uh, somebody was saying that to me. Uh, they were, well, we were talking about the song Rodeo, and he was saying, you know, what's the deal with this song about a rodeo? And mm-hmm. I've, I love that song. And I told him, I said, that's not a song about a rodeo. That's about a man with an addiction. <laughs> you, you hit it right, Matt. Just, uh, smear. Well, I'll tell you what, you're the first one that's ever really confronted me with that. But that's exactly what that song was written for. Paul, you are, uh, yeah, you, you're my friend forever. <laughs> figuring that one out. Well, thank you. But that, but that's, that is the, that is the, that's the guts. That's the heart. That's what you look for in one of those deals. I don't, I've had a lot of people say, what the hell is Latigo? Well, Latigo is, Cowboy baling wire. It's a, uh, it's leather. It's the one. It's the thing the cinch strap is made of. That's latigo leather. The little tie down things on the saddle, behind the cantle on the saddle. That's that's all made out of latigo. I had a guy call from a from a radio show in St. Louis. And it was a country music station, and the the question came up about Latigo. What is Latigo? And uh, so he called the office and asked to talk to me. And they said, well, don't count on it because he doesn't really like to do interviews. He says, well, I'm going to try him anyway. And he called, and I thought, well, that was so cool. You know, I'll, I'll talk to him. And... Uh, but he had a deal. Whoever, whoever uh, said the correct word first as to what it was that they got. Oh shoot! I don't know what they got. They got a bunch of tickets for something. So I told him what it was, and uh, anyway, somebody won it. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we got to you know meet guys like Buddy Cannon. Buddy and I turned into, wrote a thing called Yard Sale for Sammy Kershaw. Buddy produced it. And by the way, I love straight ahead country songs like that. I like, I like the old, the old ones that are so honest. Oh, some of the Haggard stuff, the way I am. Sonny Strockmorton wrote it. And Man, I, you know, I think that's probably as well-written song as you'll hear. And uh, I love what he, I love Sonny. He's uh, 
got to meet him here at Ray Price's uh, memorial. Anyway, good guy. But what is the best thing about Myrna? Your wife? Yeah, just uh, the total package. The love. I mean, everything begins with that, and uh, the respect that she, that everybody that meets her automatically has for her, and it isn't anything that she does out other than be who she is. Her honesty, steadfast, she's a hell of a lot stronger than I am, mentally. I mean, give me a break. I mean, <laughs> I'd go on all day on that. Her attitude towards uh, life itself, she's... Uh, she takes it like it uh, like it comes to her, you know. Oh, she's given me two of the finest children you ever met in your life. Grew up strong and and good people. They married well. They've got wonderful wives. They're my daughter-in-laws are couldn't be closer than my than blood, you know, than my own progeny, but. She's she's just everything. I can't. I just can't. Uh, I can't imagine. Well, we we grew up together. Just you know, she's perfect. I love her. My last question. Mm-hmm. Who is Larry Bastion? Who is the man at heart? Uh, he's pretty complex. He thinks too much. He's a lot of things. I wish I could remember that one song I was trying to figure out. That uh, one. Hang on just a second. The one. I guess. Boy, I tell you what. Lyrics. They're a wonderful thing, and they come really fast to me. But uh, there's a a song that I hear about oh, a year ago. I guess it was. Every once in a while, I get a little deal where I'm get a little blue and and not have any reason to it. And, uh, but she's going to look it up here. So I, anyway, I'm sitting around feeling sorry for myself with nothing to do. So, you know, have you ever had the op, you know, where you just wanted to step outside and scream? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I was in one of those, those deals and, uh, you know, you just you go you go out and and uh, and all of a sudden it all came out and that's one. You know, it was like throwing up. You know, you feel so good when it's over. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, you know, but uh, let me see if I can bring it to mind here. I don't have to. I don't have to read it. It came to me. Okay. I got out there and I, I wrote down, sometimes I go retro like a clock in October and fall back recalling the wrong that I've done. Are there days enough left to atone for transgression? Does a father still wait for his prodigal son? I've lived a lifetime chasing down rainbows and running away when the gold wasn't there. Now there's a stranger that lives in my mirror with lines on his face and gray in his hair. 
I'm a pilgrim that strayed from a path straight and narrow, a believer that stumbled and fell out of grace. I'm the outlaw that's trapped in his own big box canyon, waiting to deal with the law that he'll face. Regret is a coyote that cries after midnight for the love that you've tasted and then set aside and Howls displeasure at the times beyond measure you offered it up on the altar of pride. I'm a pilgrim that strayed from a path straight and narrow, a believer that stumbled and fell out of grace. I'm the outlaw that's trapped in his own big box king, waiting to deal with the law that he'll face. Larry Bash. <laughs> that's pretty much me <laughs> right there. Well, thank I you think very I- much. Man, it's it's a pleasure to talk to you, Paul. It was an honor, absolutely. We're sure, uh, I sure sure hope uh, some of that uh, makes sense to you, but you're, uh, boy, you sure nailed me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad we had this chance, and I hope we get to meet in person someday. Oh, let's do it. Oh, man. Oh, next time I get to Nashville, if you've got time to spend and come up there, man, I'd like to meet you and hang out for a while. And I'd show you the, the our office and go back backstage at the where Larry Bastion lives. Oh, I'd uh, love that. And I can show you where it all took place. <laughs> oh, that'd be great. But then uh, I'll. Like I said, I don't, I don't do these things very often. You know, I can count on one hand the times I've, I've done them. I did them early on because I had to, and then I quit. And so, the other thing is, I'm a pretty good judge of character. I think the Lord looks after me where that's concerned, and uh, He sure said, "Talk, talk to Paul." <laughs> well, that's great. <laughs> well, I can thank the Lord for that. Yeah. Anyway, well, golly, I, I feel like I've known you forever now since I spilled my G-U-T-Z, <laughs> but thanks so much for for talking to me. Oh, it was my this pleasure. Been my play. This has been mine, too. So, anyway, we both won on this one. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Oh, and, then, and the next time I'm there... I'm serious. So I want you to come out, meet Myrna and me, and uh, we'll have a have a large time up there. I look forward. Okay. Thank you, Paul. God bless you, man. I hope you enjoyed that one. Something tells me I'll be catching up with Larry Bastian again one of these days. I look forward to it. Thanks to Larry Bastian, our special guest. Thanks also to Major Bob Music. If you haven't subscribed to the Paul Leslie Hour yet. I encourage you to do so. It's totally free. We're on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and a cast. Consider also rating and reviewing us. It helps other people find us. That's all I've got for now. Until next time. The Paul Leslie Hour is hosted, produced, and written by Paul Leslie for Lifestyles Entertainment. For information, visit thepaulleslie.com. Thank you for being with us. Until next time.